Welcome to the Week 13 Podcast, here to discuss the triumphs, trials, and fibrillations of nursing that somehow keep us coming back for more. My name's Courtney. I'm a 25-year-old novice nurse who decided to dive headfirst into my nursing career. Most days, I still don't know what I'm doing. Thankfully, I have a variety of expert colleagues and endless resources to help me get by. In the podcast, I'll talk about the complexities of travel nursing, sharing knowledge, lessons, and expertise for us all to implement in our day-to-day nursing careers. Let's collaborate. Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. Wow, that is so weird to say. This has been a dream of mine actually for the last couple of years, and Now it's happening, which is so crazy to me, but here we are on episode two. Just a couple housekeeping things before we get started. I am in a really small apartment right now out in Pennsylvania, and you can literally hear everything. It's a super old building, so somebody drives by, you can hear it. Somebody slams the door, you can hear it. A siren goes off, you can hear it. And today I have somebody's smoke alarm that's been beeping low battery for about four days and you might be able to hear it in the background behind me. So I'm so sorry if you can hear that, but I mean, that just shows that recording a podcast and producing your own podcast and editing your own podcast is not always glamorous. So please bear with me. And if anybody has any suggestions on how to get that stuff out of the background, please reach out to me. I am open to any and every suggestion and trying anything to help with that because I understand it can be very distracting when you're trying to listen to a podcast. So again, if you have any suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My information is linked in the show notes. Today I'm going to be touching on some frequently asked questions and basic information about travel nursing. Some of these questions are questions that I had before I started and some of them are questions that I have been asked since starting my first assignment. Please note that I am not an expert and I am simply learning as I go and sharing my experiences with you guys as they're happening. Also note that information can change from agency to agency and even recruiter to recruiter. So please take what I give you with a grain of salt and make sure that you're still leaning on your recruiter in your agency for more solid information as it applies to you and that you're doing your own research on top of what I talk about here. Probably the most common question that nurses ask when they are starting to explore becoming a travel nurse is, what do I need to do to become a travel nurse? Do I need a certain degree? Do I need a certain amount of experience? Do I need certain certifications? You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Most recruiters recommend that you have at least two years experience in your specialty before taking the plunge to become a travel nurse. So for me, that is in the ER. And this is really for safety reasons. You know, we only learn a fraction of what it takes to be a nurse in nursing school. Much of what we learn is learned after we've graduated, passed our NCLEX, and started our careers. I transitioned to travel nursing about a month shy of my two-year nurseiversary, which, side note, that is like such a fun word, and it was a huge step out of my comfort zone. I had been at my home hospital 
yes, I refer to it as my home hospital. You might hear some other travel nurses refer to it as their staff job, but it was home for me. So I was there at my home hospital working as a CNA for three years before I became a nurse there. And I was working as a nurse for just shy of two years before I was just starting to feel like I was really excelling there and getting the hang of things. I felt like I had the policies and procedures down. I felt like I was able to answer questions to other nurses, whether they were new to our unit, new to our hospital, new nurses in general. Like I felt like I was able to be a resource for them. And if I was unable to answer their question, I felt comfortable finding someone else who could answer their question or looking it up in the policies and procedures or whatever. So I personally, on top of recruiters and agencies recommending that you have two years of experience, I personally would also recommend that you have that experience. I'm also a member of many travel nurse groups on Facebook. And every time I see someone ask about becoming a travel nurse with less than two years experience, there are no responses that encourage it. Being a travel nurse, you get little to no orientation. So at my first assignment, I was thankfully lucky enough to get three days, but it's typically one shift. And the way things are going right now with COVID on the rise again, I've heard many people say that they got less than four hours of orientation due to the high demand of patients and such short staffing. So if you're gonna explore travel nursing as a career option, please just understand the expectations and ensure that you are adequately prepared because if you're not, you're not really doing the facility or yourself any favors and ultimately you're there to help them. You're there to fill holes. You're there to fill gaps. You're there to be another set of hands and if you don't know your stuff, you're kind of more of a nuisance than you are a help. So just be aware of that and I mean that in the kindest way possible. It's also super important that you are confident in your skill set and your nursing abilities. Nursing is the same everywhere, but what I've learned very quickly is that the policies and procedures surrounding nursing vary drastically from hospital to hospital. I honestly always thought like, yeah, they'll fluctuate here and there, but the differences from my home hospital to my first assignment are like night and day. It's actually kind of scary. I was like, holy cow, there's stuff that I could do at home that I can't do here. There's stuff I'm doing here that I never would have done at home. So just know that although nursing is a universal thing, hospital policies and procedures are not. Another super common question is, how do I find an agency or a recruiter? There are hundreds and hundreds of travel agencies throughout the country to the point where it can be very overwhelming. I mean, honestly, if you're desperate to get started, you can literally just Google search travel nursing and a ton of agencies will show up. For me, as you know, if you listen to my first episode, my recruiter was someone who reached out to me by recommendation of a friend. I think a lot of travel nurses find their recruiters by recommendation, whether it be by doing their own research or asking the travel nurses that work on their units. I was lucky that my recruiter impressed me right off the bat and we got along, but just know that if it doesn't go that way for you, 
you can change recruiters within the same agency or switch companies altogether at any time. If you go the Google route, once you pick an agency, you will most likely be assigned to a recruiter. But again, if you don't vibe with them, ask for a new one. Ultimately, recruiters are there to help you because they work for you. Like that's part of this gig, you get to call the shots. A lot of things that I've read and learned from other travel nurses is to work with multiple recruiters at a time to ensure that you're maximizing your experience. If you're in it for the travel, you'll sign with the agency that can get you to your preferred location. If you're in it for the money, which there is no shame in that, you'll sign with the agency that can get you the most money. And yes, some agencies can have the same contracts with completely different wages, which is crazy to me. Thinking about working with multiple recruiters at a time when I was looking for my first assignment gave me a lot of anxiety. So again, like I said, I was lucky that my recruiter and I got along really well, like we vibed really quickly. But even though I was pretty sure I was gonna sign with her, I downloaded an app called Vivian that was recommended on a couple different travel nurse accounts that I follow on Instagram. And on that app, you plug in your information once, your information being pretty much anything on your resume, you set your job preferences, and then you can browse positions while filtering the matches even further, whether by shift or by location, etc., etc. The contracts listed on here are listed by different recruiters and agencies. If you express interest in a contract, the recruiter will reach out to you via the app and ask to discuss your options with you further. I will say this became very overwhelming for me as a first time traveler. So I'd recommend that you wait until you get your feet wet, but if you're assertive and you can shut recruiters down easily right off the bat, have at it. I looked at, I think, four or five different contracts, which were all through different agencies. So I had four or five recruiters reaching out to me throughout the week. And at that same time, I was trying to get my compliance training done, and I was trying to get my certifications renewed, and I was trying to get all of my ducks in a row to start submitting my employment packet with my original recruiter. So again, if it's gonna cause you anxiety, I don't recommend using it. Another app that I've seen used is Kamana. Kamana, it's K-A-M-A-N-A. I cannot speak to what it all entails as I've not used it, but I'm assuming it is very similar to Vivian. I will share these links for the apps in the show notes for you to use at your own leisure. So if you wanna look into them, otherwise you can literally just search for either one of these names in your app store and I'm sure that they'll show up. Moving on to the length of contracts. Contracts are typically three months or 13 weeks, hence the name of this podcast, week 13. But you can sometimes find contracts for four or eight weeks, but I think that those contracts are limited and very few and far between. The contract I am currently in is a 13-week contract, and I honestly feel like it's the perfect length because I'm currently in week six, or I just finished week six, going into week seven, and I'm feeling pretty confident in the work and comfortable at the facility, but I don't feel like 13 weeks is enough time to get caught up in the drama of the department or hospital politics, and it makes for a much more stress-free work environment. 
I literally go to work, I do my job, and go home without bringing work home with me. I'm able to leave work at work. If you really like an assignment that you're on, there is sometimes the option to extend your contract. So your recruiter would reach out to the hospital and see if that's something that they're interested in. And actually sometimes, if you're nearing the end of your contract, the hospital will reach out to your recruiter and ask them if you are willing to or wanting to extend your contract. I personally have not and most likely will not extend a contract somewhere, mostly because I'm in this for the travel, I'm in this to explore different areas of the country, but I do have a fellow travel nurse friend who has extended her contracts, so maybe in the future I will do an interview episode with her about extending contracts and kind of the pros and the cons behind that. After you've found a recruiter and an agency to work with, you will fill out a packet or a portfolio with pretty much all of the information that you can find in your resume. So you'll include your name, your address, your contact number, your contact email, and then a professional summary, your experience, your education, your certifications and skills, etc., etc., and then also a reference page. Once you've filled that out and provided your agency with that information, you can browse jobs. And for my agency right now, they literally have a portal of job listings in a format similar to Indeed. So I would just scroll through there, and once I found jobs that I was interested in, I would send them to my recruiter, and she'd send me a further breakdown of the listing. Then if it was something I was still interested in, she would submit my packet, and I would wait for an interview. Which now brings me to the topic of interviews. I don't think I'm wrong when I say no one enjoys interviews. <laughs> they are uncomfortable and always will be. But there are different ways that hospitals interview travel nurses for their positions. I have only had two interviews for travel nursing at the time I recorded this episode. And I'm going to give my perspective on things. So again, it might not always look like this. So take this with a grain of salt. The most common way that hospitals do interviews is to conduct a 15 to 20 minute, what I call fast money interview, where they ask the big questions. What experience do you have? Where do you come from? Do you feel comfortable in X, Y, and Z situations? And then they give you a rundown of their department. I use the last five to seven minutes of my interviews to ask them questions that were important in my search for the perfect contract as well. So some of those questions include, and I will link these in the show notes as well, does my start date of blank work for you? What shift is available? What is the nurse to patient ratio? And how would you describe the culture of your department? Something to note about these fast money interviews is that they don't schedule a time to call you. You know, like in a normal interview, they will email you, they'll schedule a time that's good for you to call you for the interview, or they'll have you come in for the interview. Not with this. They will literally just call you out of the blue. I was lucky enough to catch the phone calls for both of my interviews, but if you don't have a professional voicemail set up, I would definitely do this before you start submitting to assignments. When I got the call for my first interview, I was laying down to nap and had just taken a pain pill because I had surgery the day before. And this particular contract was about 31 hours from home on the other side of the country, which felt really scary to begin with, especially with it being my first. 
but I also couldn't make out anything positive from the interview. The interviewer had hardly asked me any questions about myself and my experience and seemed to be more focused on selling me on the fact that the hospital was an hour away from the beach than she was telling me about her department and the hospital. So I mostly preferred day shift, but was open to mid shifts, which is what this hospital had available. But they rotated from starting at 12, 1 or 2 p.m. and getting done at 12, 1 or 2 a.m., and there was little to no housing in the area. So I would have had to drive at least 45 minutes in an unfamiliar area in the middle of the night to get home. And after the interview, I immediately called my recruiter, told her I had an interview, and she was excited for me and all about it, but the more I talked about it, she knew that I wasn't sold on it at all, and she could sense that I was trying to talk myself into it simply because I wanted to start a contract. My second interview I was kind of expecting, and I'll explain why in a few minutes, but I was quickly shown what an actual interview should look like. The interviewer, who is now my supervisor in Pennsylvania, talked in detail about the facility and the department and laid out his expectations of his staff right off the bat. He asked me about myself and my experience and validated my experience, although very different from the experience that I would gain at his hospital. But he also talked to me about what I like to do in my free time, and it felt like a breath of fresh air, and I was assured that his staff treats their travelers as their own, which I've noticed on day one. So I left that interview feeling very confident in our conversation, and when I told my recruiter about this opportunity, she could tell that I was genuinely excited about the contract. So again, find a recruiter that you vibe with and who can sense when you are being genuine about something or when you are trying to force yourself into being excited about something because I probably would have signed that first contract if it weren't for her. Another thing my recruiter told me about was that some hospitals will take a look at your packet and send you a blind offer without an interview and pretty much just take your word for your experience without having to hear it from yourself. But just remember, without an interview, you sacrifice asking the questions that are important for you as well. So if that is something that you're willing to do, I say go for it. But I personally feel like blind offers reflect poorly on hospitals or facilities. Speaking of offers, a lot of people ask, how long does it take to get an offer and when should I accept or decline my offer? Most offers will come within 24 to 72 hours of the interview. So with my first interview, it was on a Friday and I got my offer on Monday morning and my second interview was Monday afternoon and I got an offer on Monday evening. My recruiter suggested that I either accept or decline my offers within 24 hours of receiving them, and I think that's pretty standard. Going back to why I was kind of expecting my second interview, on that Monday morning when I got my first offer, I was still feeling really conflicted. I wanted a contract, but I didn't want this one. I didn't want to wait for more interviews, but I wanted to go to a hospital that felt right. So I reached out to my recruiter and told her how I was feeling. And she told me that since we have an offer on the table, she can push the other hospitals that I've submitted to a little bit. So she nudged a few of them and told them, look, we've got an offer on the table. So if you're interested in her coming to your hospital, you better get to calling her. 
She had heard back from the Pennsylvania hospital after she reached out to them, and they told her to tell me to expect a call that day. So knowing that call was coming, I had my phone attached to me all day on full blast and vibrate, which I will tell you was very annoying from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. when they called me, (laughs) but so worth it. So like I said, that Monday evening, I received an offer from Pennsylvania, and while accepting that offer, I also declined the other one. Accepting and declining your offers goes strictly through your recruiter. You know, you tell them, hey, I'm interested in this one. I'd rather take this one. I want to accept this one, and I don't like this one. I want to decline this one, and they do all of the in-between communication for you. I probably should have touched on this topic a little earlier in the episode before we got into browsing jobs, submitting your packet, and interviewing, but another popular question is, when should I start looking for a contract, and how long does it take to find one? Typically, it's recommended to start looking for a contract about six weeks before your target start date. If you start looking sooner, there may not be positions available because hospitals and facilities typically don't post them that far in advance, or they might find someone who can start sooner than your targeted start date and they'll choose them over you. In the same regard, if you start looking later, you might not get your compliance completed in time to start on or by your targeted start date. You can find and submit your profile to hospitals right around six weeks before your targeted start date, but just know that it can take 10 to 14 days to get an interview and then another one to three days to get an offer. So patience is truly a virtue in a search for a contract. And if you're a newbie, take your time. Don't get ahead of yourself. It is all very scary. Trust me, I literally quit my job and put in my 60-day notice to vacate my apartment before I even had a contract line up. It was stressful, but it is all very worth it in the end. It is not recommended that you quit your job or vacate your residence, if you're going to vacate your residence, before you have a contract lineup, but most apartments require 60-day notice, and I was confident that my current employer wouldn't tell me that I'm done effective immediately when I put in my notice. As I mentioned in my first episode, I gave them about eight weeks notice that I was quitting. Ultimately, you still have to be an adult. You still have to make adult decisions. And I wasn't willing to give my apartment complex any less than 60 days notice that I was vacating because that would cost me money in the long run. So make decisions as you feel necessary. Like I said, it's not recommended that you do things the way I did things, but unfortunately there was no other way for me to handle the situation. So after you leave home, where are you going to live when you're on assignment? Housing seems to be one of people's biggest fears when it comes to travel nursing, but there are so many options. Some just take more creativity than others. Many travel nurses, including myself, used Furnished Finder, which is literally like Airbnb or VRBO for travel nurses. The landlords on there offer extended stay housing, but some of them do require a minimum of 30, 60, or 90 days. So just be aware of that when you're booking. If there's a minimum stay, make sure it's not longer or shorter than your assignment. And if it is shorter than your assignment, make sure that you can renew as your assignment progresses. 
I was advised when I first started to book my first week or two in a hotel before committing to a minimum stay because there is always the possibility of your contract getting canceled or having your start date pushed back. Because Steven works from home, I wasn't really comfortable with making him move around, you know, move into a hotel for a couple weeks and then find an Airbnb for, you know, a month or so and then move to another Airbnb. So I just wanted something that we could book for the entire three-month period so that he had someplace stable to find his groove in and he'd be set. I searched Furnished Finder for weeks before finding my housing, which was a little nerve-wracking after signing a first contract. I do recommend when you are looking at hospitals that you're interested in that you look at Furnished Finder or you look at Airbnb or VRBO or whatever platform you're going to use to book your housing and make sure that there's at least some housing in the area that you would be interested in. In our situation, obviously, if worst came to worst, we would stay in a hotel, but when COVID was starting to clear up and hotels were starting to open up more and more, the extended stay prices were absolutely outrageous. So I was like, you know what? I don't wanna pay that much to stay in a hotel. But again, obviously, if we had to, we would have. And Steven has been really great about being super flexible. And it's more of a me thing than it is a him thing. But I just want him to be comfortable because he did leave a more comfortable office at our apartment to come and travel with me. So I'm just super conscious of that probably, but whatever. Furnished Finder does have a feature that you can fill out a form stating what you're looking for, what dates you need, and a little bit about yourself. And then once you submit, it gets sent to landlords that may have properties available that aren't posted yet. That is actually how I found our housing in Pennsylvania. Going back to contracts getting canceled or pushed back, when I first talked to the landlord, I asked her about those situations and how she handles them. And I would recommend that you do this and get it written in a signed lease because honestly, stuff happens. I'll get more into my experience with date changes in another episode, but just make sure you cover your butt because it really does happen. You hear about it and you're like, it's not going to happen to me, but it does happen. So just be prepared for those things. A couple things that are very important, but I'm only gonna touch on briefly because they are such sensitive subjects from a legality standpoint, are stipends and insurance. These topics are crucial to talk with your recruiter about when getting started with travel nursing. So how do I qualify for untaxed stipends? This question varies. Some agencies say that you have to be greater than 50 miles from your quote-unquote tax home, and some say that you need proof of duplicating your expenses, and some say both. Again, I am not going to get too in-depth on this topic for legal reasons, but a great resource for tax-related questions is TravelTax.com. Moving on to insurance, there are a couple different options when it comes to travel nursing. The first and most simple option is to get private insurance. That way, if you switch recruiters or switch agencies at any point throughout your travel nurse career, you are always covered. Some agencies will offer insurance packages, and then obviously there's always the option of getting married. Well, in my situation, I'm engaged right now, so I could get married and go on my fiance's insurance. One thing to be aware of, like I said, if you take insurance through your agency, 
if you switch agencies, you will need to switch insurances as well. Typically, insurance coverage extends through the end of whichever month you're in, though. So, for instance, if you end a contract with one agency on the 4th of August, you have until the 31st of August to sign and start a contract with another agency. And with starting slash enrolling in new insurance packages, it should always date back to your start date, but keep in mind that your start date is the day of your first shift at the facility, not the day you sign your contract. So just a few things to think about. Again, not going super in depth on this topic, but I did want to address it because it is such a popular topic. To wrap up this episode, I am going to share some other random thoughts that I have around travel nursing that I've gathered throughout these last six weeks on my first travel assignment. So like I said, I am about six weeks in. I am heading into week seven and I am loving it. I do not regret taking this leap of faith at all, but there are some things that I have learned along the way and some things that have been harder than others to navigate. So I do want to share those things with you because it is real and I just want to be transparent with you guys and make sure that although there are a lot of great things that come with travel nursing, there are things that are difficult to deal with as well. When starting your travel nurse career and your journey, I recommend clearly defining your why for travel nursing and keeping that reason in mind when you're choosing a contract. I have had this discussion with myself and with Steven many times, and we always come back to the conclusion that we are gaining so many experiences by doing this. And even if we aren't maximizing our savings during a specific contract, we probably are going to a lot of places that we never would have explored before. So what I'm referring to now is my contract in Pennsylvania is not the highest paying contract in the country at this time. And I think something that was super hard for me to accept was that there are higher paying contracts within 30 minutes to an hour of the contract I'm at right now. And it's really hard to ask for more money mid-contract. I did try and they declined my request, which is fine. I mean, that's life. You're not going to get everything that you want. But it has been really hard to not like get bogged down with the fact that there's higher paying contracts elsewhere, especially so close to where I'm working right now. But I have just been reminding myself and talking with Steven and we've been reminding each other that like I was super eager to start my contracts. Like I was super eager to start travel nursing and this was a great opportunity because I was going to a level one trauma center, which looks great on a resume. And it's still twice as much, if not more than what I was making at my staff job. So I am still making a positive monetary change, I guess, but also it's only 13 weeks. So even though I feel like eh, I could be making more, I am constantly reminding myself that like we probably never would have come to Pennsylvania if it weren't for this contract and we're loving it so far. And there's still so much more time to take higher paying contracts, but this contract has solidified my feelings of not wanting to work in a big hospital as a staff nurse in the future when we settle down, which is huge for me because I was pretty sure of this before I started this contract, but having that validation has really kind of made that a reality for me. 
On the topic of money, I would not recommend that you share how much you are making with staff nurses because more times than not, they're gonna get upset and envy you for it because you're literally there doing the same work. And sharing how much you make with other travel nurses may open up a door for either number one, them telling you that you don't make enough and that you could be making so much more, or number two, the same thing with the tra- or with the staff nurses that you're making more than them and then they're gonna envy you for it and be ticked off. To me, I did share an estimate of how much I make with another travel nurse and it was actually a little bit helpful to me because she encouraged me to ask for more mid-contract and not to settle for less in my next contract. And settle isn't necessarily the right word, but just to do my research and see what rates are in the areas that I'm looking at so that I can make sure that even if money isn't the reason that I'm doing travel nursing, that I'm not totally getting gypped, I guess, for lack of better words. Another thing that I highly recommend is finding a hobby, especially if you're away from home or traveling solo. Having a hobby is super important so that you don't get too lonely. So for me, my hobby is this podcast. And at some point, I would really love to start scrapbooking and learning how to use my Cricut and documenting our journey throughout these next couple of years. We also love to hike and explore all of the diverse dining options in our area because back home, we had to drive 30 to 45 minutes to eat somewhere that wasn't bar food or fast food. So it's really exciting to have different dining options closer to us that we can explore. And then also set aside time for yourself to check in with your family. I had all intentions of scheduling FaceTimes with our families each week when we first started this, but it's been really difficult to keep up with that as we're still trying to adjust. If they're supportive, your friends and your family, they will understand that you are in a new season of your life, and as you try to navigate that, you're not purposely trying to abandon them. But staying connected is important for you too. We were both very close with our families back home, and it has been, I think, a lot harder for me than it has been for Steven to be out here, just the two of us, and not really seeing any friends or family throughout the weeks. But again, we don't regret taking this opportunity, and we have grown so much as a couple through this journey. So we're very grateful for that, and I am very grateful for all of you for coming back to listen to my second episode of this podcast, and I promise I will stop counting them probably after episode number five, because it is still so crazy to me that I have a podcast of my very own that I'm hosting for other people to listen to. And with that, if you're enjoying this podcast, please share with your friends and leave me a review. I will link everything I referenced today in the show notes below, and I will talk to you later. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Week 13 Podcast. This podcast is intended to be a guide and a source of encouragement to existing and future travel nurses to learn from my experiences since the beginning of my travel nurse career. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, review, or share with a friend. Have an awesome week.